Okay, welcome back. Today, uh, 29, 29th episode, Sutta Nipata. Like has been before, as has been before. Um, the backstory to the Sutta is uh, as interesting and uh, I think important as the Sutta teaching itself. And so, like the uh, culinary approach of um, 90% preparation and 10% cooking, uh, this is what we're going to be doing today again. It may take two weeks, we'll see. I just let myself run freely with this. Uh, We're looking at uh, Sutta 13 of the second chapter, which is Chulavaga of uh, Sutta Nipata 71. This is called Sama Paribhajaniya. So Sama Paribhajaniya. Janiya. Sama means right, like... uh, uh, right view, right livelihood, right action, samavatta, right speech. So sama, right, paribhajanya means wandering or ha- going forth. Tanisaro's mm, synopsis briefly <clears throat> is the sort of person who, having gone forth, meaning as a monk or bhikkhu, is fit to wander through the world. And so, obviously, there's a nice connection to us wanderers, or any. Uh, wandering, in this case, doesn't mean aimless hobo action. It means um, going forth from the home life, or the life with one's um, line of least resistance community, <laughs> and moving into um, a more self-determined way of living rather than collectively referencing, uh, not with the family, not with the home group for wanderers, going to third density, going to planets um, to be of service. But again, um, the, the phrase service to other is very deficient, where I've said many times, I think it's much better to have said service to all, because taking good care of oneself is technically service to other, which is silly, better than saying other and self, service to all, uh, including self. <clears throat> and it's it's really uh, a matter, frankly, uh, to me it's getting clear that a number of people, a number of, number of wanderers, clients, friends, uh, particularly at this time with this coronavirus situation, are coming to realize the limits of um, interactive service to other, meaning lots of people don't want to hear a lot that we might be saying. A lot of people don't want to look at a lot of things that they're going through. A lot of people don't want what we call service to other in some ways. They might be happy with comfort or they may feel well that we accept them and um, are comforting and want to listen or want to make suggestion if they wish. Um, But in general, much of what we might have learned here or know uh, they normally don't want most common most people are not that receptive actually and so the other portion of service to other (laughs) which is expressed by service to all is take good care of yourself and uh, developing the seven chakras is world service whether you're alone in a cave or uh, doing social physical service work with people in community. So developing body-mind-spirit, evolution of mind-body-spirit, developing seven chakras, developing green blue indigo, developing love, wisdom, and balance, uh, spiritualizing body-mind, this is service to other, service to all, this is world service. And so uh, taking good care of yourself and going beyond fear and resentment, going beyond doubt, going beyond self-conflict, going beyond various attachments when we can, uh, recognizing when we're stuck by recognizing we've been triggered, uh, recognizing that we're out of balance or we're confused. Doing all that work inwardly is world service. I mean, (laughs) what is it all about anyway? The purpose of being here is evolution. And this... um, 
this also goes to the whole um, parallel between development of Buddhism from the Theravada to Mahayana and Tibetan Vajrayana, whereby it's also a movement from the Arhat ideal to the Bodhisattva ideal, particularly the ideal of the Arhat, the Arahan, who um, works out their own salvation with diligence, in line with Gautama's last words. Works out their own salvation with diligence was looked down on by later Buddhists in Mahayana, or Vajrayana sometimes, who thought that was selfish. Meanwhile, the Bodhisattva is not a Buddha, and we as wanderers are obviously not even fully uh, manifesting Atman or higher self. And there's a little arrogance <laughs> in the Bodhisattva, I would say, in the later tradition, at least today. I mean, earlier on, I don't really know, because it was different. Um, but today, lots of folks in Buddhism that are in Mahayana or Vajrayana traditions um, idealizing the Bodhisattva world server um, because sitting in the forest watching mind to release is too difficult and they think selfish um, don't realize that um, they're very limited we're very limited in how much we can make transformation uh, make others transformation of course we can't make anyone's transformation but our own and uh, there's a certain conceit commonly in people who fancy themselves as bodhisattvas in the world in the Buddhist community in the West, I've seen. And it's good to be of service to other, obviously, but the limit to service not only is, uh, you know, the degree to it is requested, as Ross said, but also our own development. And in many cases, the best service is loving silence uh, or sparse few words, cho well-chosen few words that come spontaneously and naturally uh, from deep wellness that isn't um, anxious and upset in others' condition or their lack of receptivity. Oh. <laughs> Just saw a beautiful, <laughs> kind of a pale blue-gray butterfly who almost got caught in a spider web outside the window and then flew away. So uh, don't get caught in the spider webs of... Um, mistaken obligation uh, in relationship or in activity or in our life presuming that um, their salvation is our obligation or responsibility and that we are useless here on this planet because nobody really wants to hear me talk or something like that because actually uh, coming back to balance and uh, moving to deep wellness is job number one. And there's nothing inferior about Theravada or the Arahant ideal. Later Buddhists call it Hinayana, inferior or wretched vehicle, yana, vehicle, hina, wretched, lower, inferior. This is a real mistake. And um, there are a lot of people, <clears throat> wanderers particularly, who um, have been looking for what should I do and maybe I'm here to help the whole world and what's my life purpose I don't know why I'm here you're here to get your shit together you're here to stay to move to live well in love, wisdom, balance and uh, to continue deep self-healing and move towards deep wellness which is a clearance of lower triad blockage and is development of green, blue, indigo, and is led by love, wisdom, or unconditional acceptance, and discernment, honesty, um, loving truth, uh, and recognizing, in this case, the limits of bodhisattva, of commonly presumed bodhisattva activity or service activity, in a world where many people are um, not open to hearing what could help them, but rather stay in their distress <clears throat> and confusion or wrong view because they're not interested they're not open they don't they think they're right they think they know so this is something that might be useful and when we're getting into this sutta today uh which uh, 
again, Samma Paribajanya, right wandering, right going forth. Uh, we're going to see a very complicated backstory and uh, what looks to me like a heck of a lot of Mahayanist, later Buddhist, um, cosmological embellishment. Uh, it's almost like this is a Mahayana Sutta from China, <laughs> because we're talking about devas and brahmas and gods and 1,000 crore became enlightened after hearing it. 1,000 crore, crore is a Indian or Hindu measurement count, 10 million, 1,000 crore, and then it's all sorts of strange people who said a billion or a hundred billion angels and devas and brahmas and spirits got enlightened after hearing this. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of fancifulness or fancy here. Meanwhile, uh, cosmology is, is as complicated as it seems to be indicated here. There's another line, there's another aspect here, which is the mind of those who heard this, uh, not just the sutta, but the backstory, particularly, which was part of the commentary 2,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, being akin to what Ra said of the mind of the early Egyptians that they said, I believe, was uh, more distorted but less complicated. A simple mind, which we can say is clearly not so complicated, um, seems to me to be of also greater distortion. So complication of mind certainly is, is very painful. Today you have lots of people with very complicated mind. Technically, metaphysically, that may still be less distorted than the simpler, duller, lower functional mind of less complicated earlier peoples who would have appreciated the what I would say is a massive embellishment and embroidery, um, flowery, I mean it, it's really religious fantasy um, of the long write-ups of this sutta. And it's not just this sutta, it's this sutta as one of six that was part of a great assembly. And so the backstory is massive and the, in, the religious uh, cosmological embellishment is massive and it probably was just fine for people to move towards adoration of the Buddha which is really how things move from Theravada to Mahayana as well uh, it moved more from hearers uh, monks people who became monks lay people hearing and yogis hearing Brahmins right we talk about a lot of Brahmins <laughs> Buddhist Gautama was teaching Brahmins he wasn't teaching Buddhists. There was no Buddhist before him. So he's teaching Brahmins, lay people, and yogis, whose minds, uh, some people, at least the lay people, were certainly, um, I think, less complicated than today. Um, perhaps a whole lot more distorted, though, too. And um, could do well, at least as time passed, not with the original teaching, but as we go from Theravada or Hinayana to Mahayana, meaning uh, 2,000 years ago, hundreds of years, several hundred years, the hundreds of years following Gautama's death, the mind was becoming less distorted but more complicated, and a lot of people um, were more amenable to the bhakti appeal, the appeal of devotion and adoration of the Buddha. And so a simpler, more distorted or less complicated mind of 2,000 years ago or 1500 years ago may have done better with um, religious fantasy embroidery embellishment that you're going to see here um, in the backstory of uh, what this uh, how this sutta came to be and so there's also interestingly a lot of confusion in the write-ups of this sutta and its backstory or there's lots of disagreement from different sources but let me jump in. So, from wisdomlib.org, uh, some definitions of Samma Paribhajanya Sutta, also called Mahasamaya Sutta, except where there were six of them. 
It was preached on the day of the Maha Samaya, yes. The Maha Samaya is called Great Assembly or Great um, Meeting. The Sutta, this Paribhajanya, was preached by Buddha in reply to a question asked at this Maha Samaya concourse or assembly by the created Buddha. What? Uh, it's called a Nimitta. It's actually, there's a backstory to that too, which I can't get into right now, but we go on. Um, Gautama, uh, the idea was that there were initially 500 arhats, or 500 monks who had attained Sotapanna. Gautama gave additional teaching. They all became arhats. 500 exactly? I don't think so. And then, um, knowing that that would happen, knowing that a massive assembly of devas and brahmas and higher dimensional beings of uh, a dozen classes would also be coming, there was this, uh, the Gautama thought, who in all the 31 planes could ask me all the questions, could ask me a question that would be relevant, whose answer would be relevant to all classes of beings in these, uh, uh, in this assembly. <laughs> and so he realized only he himself could ask <laughs> a question that he himself could answer that could be relevant to all classes of all the beings who were at that Mahasamaya assembly. And that's why he made an image of himself that appeared. It was the last of the suttas preached on that occasion. Uh, another source said that it was the first. I believe it, I'm not sure if it was the first or the last. And was intended for those devas who were raga charitas, meaning attached to raga. Raga meaning desire, sensual attachment. Even Brahman, Brahmas. Now, Brahmas are not Brahmins. Brahmas are leading devas, meaning high level, more advanced, higher dimensional benevolent beings. But this particular sutta, Pari uh, Bhajanya, Paribhajanya uh, is particularly of the six preached at the at the great assembly the one for those of the audience who were attached to desire, sensuality which is very much um, I love my body, I love my form, and so we're talking about higher beings too, Brahmas, right beings in, in higher Kamaloka and Rupaloka and Arupaloka, meaning all three levels of seven dimensions or 31 planes, higher or more advanced souls or devas or entities in those higher levels, not just Kama, but also Rupaloka and Arupa formless, yet they still had some attachment to form. Form doesn't mean physical body at that point, obviously. It means um my my um vehicle <laughs> the form in which i appear i like my light body i like this sphere of light um i identify it with i identify with my sphere of light uh like in sixth density or i like my experience of formlessness that's me there is some sensual, this is a sort of a rarefication of sensuality. There's no physical body, but there's a form, space-time appearance or vehicle. So, devas who are ragachitas, ragacharitas, meaning that class of the six that he was teaching that were of this, this attachment. And so, it's very complicated. And then there are, and there are beings um, who have a predominant poison, right? Desire, aversion, ignorance. And those were three of the six classes were beings with a predominant um, attachment to one of the three poisons. Desire, which is this raga, charita, and uh, aversion and ignorance. And then three other classes. At the end of the discourse, 1,000 crores attained arhanship. 1,000 crore is uh, 1,010 million. And somebody said 1 billion, and other people have other numbers. Simply, <laughs> the sutta is a dissertation on the right path for a bhikkhu. Right path meaning right wandering for a bhikkhu gone forth 
from the um, slow path, the low, the low road for, or, you know, the slow path to evolution, going on the fast path alone. He has no belief, or he's recommended to not be attached to omens, dreams, dot, 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 and there's a whole long list. Subdues his passions, puts away slander, anger, avarice, and is liberated from bonds. How that relates to higher-level Brahmas, Brahmas from higher Rupaloka or Arupaloka, like 5th, 6th density, is not so clear, but there is a correlate up there to the um, attachment to desire and aversion, rejection down here. Anyway, um, the same types of poisons or tendencies exist all the way up um, till the end of uh, the seven dimensions. It's certainly in sixth density, beings still have issues. They, ha I mean, <laughs> Ra made some pretty big mistakes. There are no mistakes in the law of one, but uh, they had some grievous consequences, so they clearly have problem and not finished in late sixth density, certainly when working with Earth. So there are issues up there too. He is the perfect bhikkhu, free of attachments, not opposed to anyone has no pride and longs for Nibbana. And when we finally get into the Sutta, probably next week, um, we'll see uh, a very um, comprehensive rundown of qualities of behavior, qualities of mind, and right behavior, and perspective that is associated with going forth to the self-determining or wandering um, that will lead to liberation. It's not just wandering for the sake of it. It's going forth from a more bounded collective uh, community of family or society to a more self-determining way of living. Now, the next little link on Mahasamaya, this assembly within which this sutta was one of six. Mahasamaya, this is the wisdom lib on Mahasamaya. Mahasamaya. Mahasamaya, great assembly, refers to the Mahasamaya sutta, which is not this one. But it's part of, this is part of that. Preached at Mahavana, Mahavana at Kabilavatu, where Buddha was staying with 500 Arahants, which were guys who just became so. The gods of the 10,000 world systems had come to visit the Buddha and the monks and were joined by four gods from Sudavasa, from the four directions, who saluted the Buddha in verse, and much more happened too. The Buddha then addressed the monks and the non-physical assembly and recited this sutta, the all six of them. It is possible to divide the discourse into three parts. The, that's for... <clears throat> Um, the sutta that uh, the first of the six that we're going to be reading so you can divide that into three parts Sama Paribhajanya now we can see then we're talking about Buddha 500 Arhats or 500 who became Arhan and then uh, gods of 10,000 world systems, including um, Brahmas from the four directions. Okay. Now, there's a longer... Th this, again, has become a very important sutta in Theravada, as far as I had learned here. I am not a Buddhist scholar, and so I'm just doing my best with some, I think, wonderful teaching. Um, a true Buddhist scholar... One of the most famous from Burma, not I think at the same level, but he's got a whole lot of devotees who love him dearly. Mahasi Sayada. Uh, to me, he looks a little too tight, frankly, but they love him in Burma, and he would be considered a peer of Mingun Sayada. Right. So there's Mahasi Sayada from Burma. There's Mingun Sayada also from Burma who wrote that book that we looked into before, Chronicle, uh, Great Chronicle of the Buddhas. Right? Great Chronicle of the Buddhas, Mingun Sayadaw looking, who has this um, 
superhuman or massive mental capacity for memorization and, and scholarship. Uh, he from Burma as a national treasure. Mahasi Sayadaw uh, was also massively venerated by people in Burma, his, his followers. Uh, and he did a whole discourse on Sama Paribhajanya Sutta. And that's one of the links from AIM, I sent from aimwell.org. And they're his disciples who wrote this, put, compiled this PDF and translated from Burmese. Uh, and he goes in great detail through the three parts of this first sutta, right? Right wandering or going forth. Uh, I want to read some of his introduction. It's a long document, and the detail is too much for this class. But after an editor's foreword and a preface, then there's an introduction. And so this uh, introduction was also not written... Let me just see. It was not written by him. It was written by one of the um, one of the team that was associated with the compilation of the translation of just this sutta, uh, Mahasi Sanada's uh, comments on it, uh, they put it together, and this introduction was written in April 1981 uh, from someone named Min Sui Min Su um, in Burma from. The Buddha Sasana uh, Sasanuga Sasanugaha Sasanugaha organization. Sasana means dispensation. So this is one of several very serious organizations in um, in Burma that's Buddhist. Uh, actually, let me read some of the preface from this fellow. Um, and I'm just going to pick and choose a bit. He wrote, It seems appropriate, first of all, to make a brief mention of the events leading to the exposition of this, of this discourse by the Blessed One, thereafter throwing light on the essence of this discourse. Again, uh, Sama Paribhajaniya Sutta. During the period between the fourth and fifth reigns, or fourth and fifth reigns retreats, on the full moon day of the month of June, after his achievement of enlightenment, this is years after, I think, because we're talking about fourth and fifth rains retreats, it was four and fifth years, uh, four to five years after Gautama's enlightenment, the Buddha went into retreat and seated himself under the pleasant foliage of a majestic tree in the great forest in the neighborhood of Kapilavatu. At that time, 500 monks who were formerly princes of the Sakyan clan and who had by then achieved the stage of stream winning, Sotapanna, being intent on gaining a higher insight, meaning the last three stages of awakening or planes of liberation, sought for and received the sublime teaching of the Blessed One. There's lots and lots of devotional language in this document. Having done so, they each retreated to suitable secluded spots such as the cool shade of ancient trees, ravines, and valleys in the forest to continue meditation practice. After strenuous meditation, they attained arahantship in the evening of the very same day. Having attained arahantship, the first monk who became an arhat made his way to the Buddha to pay obeisance and report his accomplishment of the final goal, uh, after taking his seat in an appropriate place before the Buddha, he looked back to see if there was any other person present. On seeing a monk coming, he dismissed his original intention of reporting his spiritual attainment. He therefore remained in the sitting position and immersed himself in deep silence. Then another monk followed suit, then another and another. In this manner, there was a continuous stream of all 500 newly-fledged arahants paying homage to the Buddha and taking a seat and not talking about their attainment. When all these arahants had thus assembled at the feet of the Exalted One, devas and brahmas from the ten thousand world systems appeared successively to pay respectful homage to the Blessed One and the five hundred arahants. It is stated in some of the commentary that there were only a few 
in the universe, who failed to make their appearance on this auspicious occasion, the huge congregation of a multitude of devas and brahmas is known as the great occasion, Maha Samaya, or great assembly. At this congregation, the Buddha solemnly proclaimed the number of devas who were present and the respective celestial abodes from which, from where they came to join the assembly. The words uttered by the Buddha were given the name of the Maha Samaya Sutta and were recited as such at the first Buddhist council. And so I assume all six of these suttas that were addressed to six classes of the multiple classes of devas and brahmas in assembly were all recited at the first Buddhist council, which was uh, a while after his passing. And so um, this is a very serious sutta. The impact, uh, this again, this is one of six. The impact of the Buddha's announcement on the devas and brahmas brought about a fitting composure in them. So you see, this is, um, you know, the, the devotional mind leads to <laughs> a lot of complication also. They were in a state of bliss, mentally strong, firm and receptive. The Buddha then delivered a series of discourses, six in number, the essence of each discourse being intended to suit the natural tendency and disposition and and uh, level and stuckness also of the respective devas or brahmas of these six discourses the first not the last the first is the sama paribhajanya sutta discourse on the correct homeless life or right wandering or right going forth see sama also means correct sama is right or correct homeless life paribhajanya homeless life also means wandering or going forth which is specially meant for those devas and brahmas who have the natural tendency to indulge in sensual pleasures, or, in other words, who are dominated by the habit of lust or sensual desire. And again, what what kind of habit of lust and sensual desire could there be for uh, higher <laughs> formless realm brahmas? Well, <laughs> it's much more subtle than, than uh, would be put forth here. The subject matter in this discourse is presented here for the benefit of all. In this discourse, <clears throat> the right going forth, all questions were put to the Blessed One by the Nimitta Buddha, a created image of the Buddha, by Gautama himself. The discourse begins with the Nimitta Buddha eulogizing the noble qualities and supreme attributes of the Lord Buddha in the following way, <clears throat> and it goes on and on. Um, so there's a eulogy. Uh, I guess I could just finish with this and read this uh, full preface. Um, personally, I, I don't really like flowery language, and so you can see my aversion, but um, some people do well by it. And this is supposedly the, the eulogizing. It's not all eulogizing. It's really just praising. Um, it's <laughs> Gautama's... Uh, projected thought emanation or project um, emanation body uh, nimitta means sign sign Buddha it really means projected emanation thought form manifestation of Gautama by himself talking about himself or talking about the qualities of Buddha <clears throat> and so this praise was quote all sentient beings in this universe are not only drifting along with the tide of sensual desires, but are also drowned in them. Again, this is one way to look at beings in the octave. <clears throat> it is because of their attachment to sensual existence that they are thus adrift and submerged in the raging flood of existence. <clears throat> this is the result of wrong view, uh, avidya. Only those who have confidence in the teaching of the Buddha in this dispensation will have the chance of being liberated from this whirlpool. Wrong believers are simply drifting and sinking. So sectarianism already got in. Not knowing the truth of the law of impermanence, etc. Law of impermanence is really uh, the three marks, anicca, dukkha. They are carried away by the rush of turbulent waters of darkest ignorance. The Buddha, however, has escaped from the four whirlpools and reached the other shore of reincarnation through the octave. <clears throat> the safe haven of Nibbana. With the attainment of arahanship, all clinging and desires become extinct, 
which is known as Sa Upa Disesa Nibbana. This means peace and serenity unperturbed by sensual pleasures of existence, i.e. annihilation of all defilements while the body and mind remain still, or still remain. <clears throat> so, there can be the, the defilements or ashravas or tendencies that lead to suffering are not of the body or the mind, or they, you could be say they're of the mind, but the, one can still have a body and mind with sense, sensory experience. It's just that tendencies of the three poisons, grasping, aversion, ignorance, or craving and clinging, doesn't happen. For this reason, the mind of the Blessed One is absolutely calm, tranquil, and unruffled, without the slightest taint of defilements. And um, I think that's, uh, we could see that with Nichananda. <clears throat> and so it's useful, I think, for me to compare this. Um, type of praise of the enlightened one, or Gautama, or an Arhan, with the reality of a fellow called Nityananda, who uh, seemed to be manifesting three qualities of the Absolute, right? Uh, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. Uh, and um, it wasn't that his mind was absolutely calm, tranquil, and unruffled all the time. It didn't seem like he was much distorted, but he, there were changes of mind, and... Um, we really don't know the ideal. That's something very important. We really don't know what a saint is. We look at the outside and we presume, but we really don't know what's beyond us. Following this eulogy, uh, Nimitta Buddha, <laughs> the emanation body of Gautama, posed the question to himself. How should a bhikkhu, who leads a holy life of solitude, holy life, right? Holy life of solitude in the forest after renouncing household life and discarding all worldly pleasures, meaning going forth, conduct himself well, so as to escape from this mundane world and from all fetters, <clears throat> to not have to be reborn in third density anymore. And that's the first question of the um, Haribhajaniya Sutta, and we'll see when we finally get to it. Uh, and thereafter, questions and answers, it's really this Sutta of the six doesn't have questions and answers, just many statements. Thereafter, questions and answers, I guess, of all the six suttas, cover a wide range of human thought, explaining right and wrong from the Buddhist point of view. And this is um, this is partly a rundown of, of this first sutta, beginning with the good advice to dispel erroneous views, such as belief in omens, bad dreams, weird sounds, and various other kinds of superstitions, such as fatalism supernatural occurrences portending good or evil, prophecy and propitiation of spirits, and blind belief in astrology. It comprehends the method of extinguishing human passions, evil desires, greed, attachment, and lust. There's a certain uh, brutality to Burmese Buddhism, <laughs> frankly. I mean, this is my, you can downvote me, you're, two, you're one or two downvoters if you like, please do. Uh, but there's a certain brutality to this approach, to, to the way they think in Burma about Buddhism, there's there can be very harsh. Um, meanwhile, you got somebody like Mingun Sayadaw, whose mind is um, profoundly developed, <clears throat> and so a very super strict, narrow path um, can lead some people to be uh, brutal and harsh and other people, and, and really uh, rigid and, and difficult to be with, I would think, and others to become profoundly attained in ways that are um, shockingly um, advanced, like Mingun Sayadaw. Meanwhile, you also have um, Weibu Sayadaw, who was a very, who was as enlightened as anyone else, <clears throat> and um, um, had a lot of love coming through the face profound love to me um, I see through his face so Burmese Buddhism Burmese Theravada <clears throat> is um, much tighter than Thai Thailand Theravada it seems to me the farce tradition in Thai Buddhism that came in the 19th century was a coming back to original teachings um, in a uh, somewhat to some degree from a somewhat degraded 
Orthodox Buddhism in Thailand through the centuries in which, yeah, people actually were heavily involved in reading omens and dreams and sounds and superstitions and astrology and prophecy and spirit in interaction and all that um, lower magical religiosity. Thailand had fallen heavily into that <clears throat> and I guess that's part of the mindset of Southeast Asia and a lot of places but there's a lot of that in Southeast Asia I mean in Thailand they wear amulets there's a huge business in, in sacred amulets uh, so that's a kind of spiritual materialism obviously there's some power to it um, it's significantly astral There's a it goes a, very easily to black magic actually uh, and Burmese, that may be one reason that Burmese Theravada became so harsh, and it's my opinion, it's harsh, um, like this kind of evil desires. Desire is desire. But you see, again, the the rigidity, uh, what I would saw, kind of moral absolutism, moral, uh, brut brutal, brutal moralism, harsh moralism, um, was partly coming into the, as well as um, uh, really um, overbaked um, cosmological fantasy, fant fantasy and um, thousand crores and ten thousand direct, ten thousand spirits and this kind of really um, overdone cosmological uh, embellishment uh, those two tendencies um, were coming to a different mo collective mind mentality, um, less complicated, more distorted, uh, less sophisticated, more simple, more straightforward, um, more faith-based, less intellectual, less complicated, but that, I believe, Ra would be calling more distorted. And so... <clears throat> the cosmological embellishment doesn't wouldn't bother them or doesn't lead to the same distortions it might lead to today in our minds where we may see this just doesn't make sense it's a little silly likewise the, the brutal the, the brutal moralism what I would say is a bit of harsh moralism right living the holy life uh, to to eliminate evil desires well I don't see monks in the forest being holy I mean, you ask Sayadaw Wabu Webu Sayadaw, are you a holy man? <laughs> He'll look at you like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you talking about? The, don't talk this way. <laughs> he's just, <laughs> he's just free. Uh, same thing, Nichinanda. Nichinanda people. Somebody said, people say you are a god. Is it true? And he said, we are all gods here, and you included. All beings are god. So don't, don't, don't get into this religious uh, uh, fantasism fantasizing uh, so I'm living the holy life to eradicate evil desires well that'll make a lot of trouble if you if you get attached to the connotations of that I'm a monk living the holy life to rid uh, rid myself of evil desires and defilements that way of thinking and speaking did less damage before <laughs> Today, holding tightly, one could do a lot more damage, amping up pride and conceit and arrogance, and a certain kind of uh, harsh heart chakra blockage, as well as fantasism, like the Mahayanists fall into. Um, in the past, it probably, they got less tangled by it. Today, people with complicated minds would, would go into arrogance or harsh moralism, or a certain lack of discernment that I see in a lot of Mahayanas and, and Tibetans, Tibetan Buddhists, who don't know the difference between mythology and realism, and um, would approach Nityananda and say, you are God, you are the man who've destroyed evil desires. And he'll look at you and say, what are you talking about? Don't add all that in. This is just, this is just clear. <laughs> this is just empty and light and free. So, anyway... Uh, there's some important, interesting perspectives here. And so it concludes the paragraph. Furthermore, the method of following the right path um, has been elucidated. 
how the path and fruition knowledge, meaning the, the four attainments as fruit of path, uh, maga pala, maga path, pala fruit. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, maga path, pala fruit. Uh, these four levels, how that can be achieved through insight meditation, right? So this is Burmese. Burmese talked about insight and vipassana. It didn't actually appear much in Pali canon the same way. So you see there's also a political thing going on here. I think med- insight meditation is wonderful, but it's not exactly what Gautama taught in the same way that the Burmese talk it today. And then how freedom from the three kinds of becoming can be gained. Um, sensual form and formless. This discourse gives a comprehensive treatment of the fundamental principles of Buddhism. It also prescribes the way to overcome conceit arising from egotism, animosity, and skeptical doubt. Skeptical doubt. Uh, moreover, it shows us how to devote ourselves to the practice of insight meditation. Again, this is from Burma. To get rid of these human imperfections and shortcomings which will only accumulate demerits um, and again, <laughs> different mind, different teaching, um, without any immorality, one could um, tone things down a bit. Uh, it enjoins us to practice the contemplations on loving-kindness, the four Brahma-viharas, loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, and to diligently follow the Noble Eightfold Path to gain realization of the Four Noble Truths, i.e. cessation of suffering, Nibbana. And so the Four Noble Truths, the truth of Dukkha, the truth of the cause of Dukkha, being craving and clinging, and basically avidya, uh, ultimate ignorance that leads to, a, uh, I would say, restlessness and conceit, the uh, fetters 1098, and so basic avidya, which is a basic identification with light. If you want to get to um, <laughs> uh, ontological metaphysics, and the metaphysics of the nature of being, uh, how is it that one develops a sense of uh, conceit? Uh, conceit, as the eighth fetter, is a heck of a lot more than what most people seem to be talking about it. If it really is eight, then it's kicked out only way at the end of the path, way towards the final conclusion, only by the Arahant. The other three classes have not kicked out conceit. And the conceit is... Like it was said before, like we talked about before, this in this this invisible, profoundly subtle sense of separative subjective identity. It's a conceptual based sense of a selfhood that is separate from totality. It's finite, the, the, uh, the presumed finite identity, presumed. Um, mentally conceivable identity. It's a whole lot more than aggression and pride in yourself and I feel I'm better than you. It's much more than that. It's the very, very subtle sense that that I is definable and I is distinct from infinity. <laughs> Alright? So, we have different takes here. That's why you have different souls to have different views. And then the meditation exercises to be employed are also explained in brief. Ten fetters, right? Talked about that. Some yojana that bind men to continued existence and which can only be got rid of by arahanship are outlined somewhat. While listening to this discourse with concentrated attention, one billion devas and brahmas attained arahanship. They know because they counted that. The number of those who achieved various stages of insight knowledge was, however, innumerable. That was numerable, but this is innumerable. I, I, it makes me think of the movie The Man from Earth, the Jerome Bixby story. Excellent, excellent movie, The Man from Earth, which, um, among other things, just gives a vision, a, a, a story of how um, uh, superstition, belief, exaggeration, uh, cosmological embellishment, and fantasy is added on to um, um, religious experience or an assembly or teaching of Yeshua or Jesus and things get added on later and the opinions of the outsiders very different from the founder 
him or herself who um, gave a Sermon on the Mount kind of thing. And here you've got um, those who feel that embellishment is good for the followers and to bring people in to inspire devotion and adoration of the Buddha and to help people at best, to help them help themselves, to lead them to help themselves by following a Buddhist way. Fine, I got it. But it's a little hard to believe that somebody counted that a billion devas and brahmas attained arhanship. Meanwhile, there are brahmas and devas, and there are countless classes of non-physical entities. So, it's very subtle, actually. And then finally, the last paragraph he writes, It is really surprising that the venerable Mahasi Sayadaw, author of this discourse in its Burmese version, <clears throat> has been able to compress into a small volume the various aspects of the noble Dhamma, which serves as an antidote to all ills and misery. <coughs> and so, you know, I'd be considered a real degenerate to these people. But, um, fine. <laughs> There's a lot more going on than this um, approach, although in some sense it's flawless. You know, the Buddha Dhamma, Buddha Sasana, I think is flawless, but it's the interpreters who are flawed. Me too. And um, um, the, the mind, there's there's an overemphasis of wisdom. There's Buddhist, com com commonly, the Buddhist imbalances wisdom over love. And I think we see this in um, this approach <clears throat> a little bit, at least in, in a certain rigidity of uh, formulation. Going forth to live the holy life to eliminate evil desires. Well... Um, nothing is evil um, in the mind of God and um, in the mind of the Logos there is you know all is love light all is the one it's a very different persp perspective and yet there's tremendous value here so um, the overview which I'll, I'll probably do again next time <clears throat> uh, Mahasi Sayadaw's Discourse on Sama Paribha Janniya Sutta uh, goes through every every aspect of this sutta, and so the correct homeless life, discard all superstitions, dispelling false beliefs is important, bhikkhus and secular auspicious signs, abstaining from sensual pleasures, contemplate the noble truths. The fortress, respect, uh, reject prejudice and hatred. One must abide in equanimity. Right, the fourth Brahma Vihara. <clears throat> Very important. Do not delight in sensual objects. Do no harm by body, speech, or thought. A bhikkhu must not be proud. The bhikkhu has abandoned greed. One must know the true Dhamma. Some latent defilements are eradicated actually all of them, the bhikkhu has rejected conceit. <clears throat> and so that's the eighth fetter broken. And so you're, you're seeing the whole path here. Being full of faith and conviction, the bhikkhu has escaped from the three cycles, the three triloka, I believe. The bhikkhu lives in the present. Having realized the noble truths, all of your answers are correct. All of your answers are correct is... The Nimiti, Nimitta Buddha emanation body of Gautama, <clears throat> in response to Gautama's res reply <laughs> to the Nimitta Buddha's question, after Gautama replies, then the Nimitta Buddha says, all your answers are correct. It's like saying, yes, I'm correct. <laughs> of course. But this is a <clears throat> not a bad rundown, and I'm going to go next time into the details, not from Mahasi Sayadaw's document, which is um, very deep and very, very useful for many people, um, but not really appropriate to read fully here. It take, would take us a dozen classes. But uh, you can see how some monks and scholars uh, found profound value in extensive, extended commentary on uh, very short suttas. This is not a very long sutta, actually. <clears throat> but it's very important in Buddhist history, particularly um, this notion of a Mahasamaya uh, or the uh, 
the great assembly. So at the beginning of the path, yeah, people have to get rid of superstitions and false beliefs and um, not make such a big deal out of auspicious or inauspicious signs. So like Nityananda commenting on the woman's inauspicious astrological placement that may well have led to her early death, saying uh, Saturn is there, but God is here too. That um, astrological configurations have truth. There's truth to those energies in play. And yet there are higher powers, and in Buddhism particularly, um, getting stuck in this sort of lower psychism. And the lower psychism is really, you know, omens and certain kind of magical activity. But, but astrology or outer locus of control is not helpful. And um, whether the signs are auspicious, and Mahasi Sayadaw gets into that, whether you're married on an auspicious day or not, it's the quality of the communication and the relationship that determines on that determines whether it'll be a happy marriage or not. You can be born on, a, on an auspicious day. That doesn't eliminate all that's up to human free will, obviously. So then abstaining from sensual pleasure, and that's the sort of Burmese harsh perspective. I mean, I believe it's in Burma <clears throat> where I read years ago there was a certain sangha where they would do something like four-hour meditations and or indefinite periods of sitting uh, to get themselves into a state of excruciating pain, physical pain, um, and then sit through it. And being able to do that led to profound breakthroughs, which I can imagine that would be the case. So that, that's very much about Burmese. <laughs> that's the Burmese perspective. They're very strong. They have very strong will. And they can be um, harsh, super harsh and rigid, and they can be unbelievably developed, certainly like Mingon Sayadaw. Then contemplating the noble truths or thinking on spiritual principles, um, going beyond prejudice or hatred and, and struggle, um, developing equanimity and not um, getting attached to pleasure or sensuality doing no harm, um, redoubling our efforts at not harming, moving beyond pride and greed. And so when one, when one has some equanimity and is regularly not harming, in particularly speech and action, one normally would feel some pride. You know, I'm not that stupid. <laughs> I'm not that nasty. I'm doing all right. And um, I try not to make trouble. I'm not making trouble. Uh, and then I look at all these other people that are fighting in the thicket of views, in the thorny thicket of views, fighting each other and hurting themselves and hurting others, going around in circles and falling on their faces periodically. And one can feel, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm better than them. I'm better than them. I'm better than you. So pride comes naturally. And ultimately, yeah, that kind of crude form of pride is um, anchored by eighth fetter conceit which is a sense of identity, mentally fashioned separative identity, which is very hard to get rid of. It, it's not hard. It just takes, it takes a long, long time. It's hard. Hard means it's deep, and um, it do, doesn't go away fast. <clears throat> so bhikkhu must not be proud, but every bhikkhu who's not fully enlightened is proud. Got it? <laughs> they are all proud if they're not arahan, because only the arahan has kicked out eighth fetter conceit, the basis of pride. Biko abandons greed and then comes to know true Dhamma. The three marks or three characteristics of all um, states and all phenomena. And then the Biko rejects conceit. <laughs> Finally breaks through the eighth fetter. That becomes an Arahan. Full of faith and conviction. It's not faith anymore, it's knowing. A total certainty that Gautama is as he claims to be and the path. <clears throat> is as he stated it, and the goal is real and attainable. Only then, at the end of the path, one will have total conviction about uh, Buddha Dhamma. Uh, Bhikkhu, or Arahant, really, escapes the three cycles, the three Triloka, I think, <clears throat> lives in the present. Hey, hey. And that's uh, opening to the present uh, contact with the Telgen Infinity, Ra said. 
contact with intelligent infinity is uh, opening to the present moment. And that opening means um, mind accords with reality. There's no barrier. <clears throat> there's, no def- there's no obstruction. There's no dissonance between mind and uh, objective reality or totality. The crystallized healer has no will. The crystallized being um, of seven rays um, becomes a force of um, the octave, a logoic force in the octave. And then the Nibita answers Gautama and says, all your answers are correct. (laughs) You're right, myself. And um, that's the introduction. (laughs) I think that'll be it for today because um, it's already... uh, an hour in. Um, next time I will go through a little bit more of um, Mingun, not more, but, but get into the detail a little bit uh, of Mingun Sayadaw's great chronicle of Buddha's book write-up of Maha Samaya, the assembly, with the beings, the devas and the brahmas from 10,000 worlds, which is all possible. Uh, I just think it's probably akin to <clears throat> what um, John Oldman, I think his name was John Oldman, old man, said in the um, Man from Earth movie that um, Jesus, Yeshua, um, was an enlightened man and um, later receivers and formulators um, played, it, played it up to the audience played him up to the audience I think that's very reasonable and likewise um, this assembly also seemed to have been played up meanwhile um, there really such a thing is very reasonable and actually let me just um, just read one paragraph from Mingan Sayadaw's write up of this Maha Samaya assembly uh, to just set the stage and you can um, consider it for next time or just hold it. It's a, it's a love, there was something very important and uh, magical, miraculous, lovely, wonderful happened. And it may not be as uh, cosmologically numerical as stated, but this uh, six-part Mahasamaya Sutta in the Mahasamaya uh, event um, was a magical evening, actually. And I'll just <clears throat> read Mingun Sayadaw's write-up, the paragraph expounding of Mahasamaya Sutta. The great assembly of the 500 bhikkhus took place in the cool evening on the full moon day of Jetamasa. No sooner had the five hundred arahans taken their seats, the moon appeared, rising from the top of Mount Yugandara in the eastern hemisphere, free from the five kinds of obstructions, namely dew, mist, cloud, eclipse, and smoke. The moon, in its fullness, assumed the form of a framed disk of a silver mirror or the frame of a silver wheel turning round and round on its edge, hanging high above the eastern horizon, shining with all its brightness as if to reveal the world that was made delightful and pleasurable by the appearance of the enlightened Buddha. At that auspicious moment, the Buddha was still in resonance in the forest of Mahavana near Kapilavatu of Sakya County, country in the company of 500 arahants and so it was a very special night and um, one can resonate with that and um, that's nice <laughs> that's there is something it, it's a it was a magical situation no doubt <clears throat> if the numbers seem a little dis- exaggerated and the complexities are seems a little bit overbaked, um, doesn't matter. It was a magical, special thing. And, um, you know, how do you capture, how do you capture, um, a a moment of magical, of of majesty, a magical 
majestic moment of um, Im- an important um, event in world history, like that, in in the world of teaching truth to beings in the universe. Well, you can't capture it, <laughs> so <clears throat> it's gone. It's like uh, the beautiful mandala out of sand that's brushed away after completion. You can't capture uh, glory. You can experience it and remember it, um, but it can't be captured in words or in any form. It can be extended or experienced uh, extend at length in a higher dimension or here if the mind is so purified. But this may well have been um, religious embellishment um, beyond, uh, upon a very special um, meeting. And the rain is starting a little, which is nice. So <clears throat> it, it seemed like a very holy, uh, magical, wondrous event uh, that was then also embellished. Um, so next time, um, we'll look into the detail, more from Mingun Sayadaw's write-up of it, and then the sutta itself. So I hope this has been interesting, and... Um, Please take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.